This episode of Unconventional Engineering is powered by Twinify, the digital twin solution built to unlock the value of your data. So welcome to another episode of ASME's podcast, Unconventional Engineering. I'm Tom Costabile, ASME's Executive Director and CEO. And my co-host today is Caitlin Kulbaugh, a mechanical engineer and current ASME volunteer, and also an alum of uh, the same college I went to. Caitlin, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Tom. How are you? I'm fine. Well, Tom, uh, we definitely have heard some unique stories on our podcast here about engineer whose work and careers have gone in a wide variety of directions, and today's guest is absolutely no different. She's a public speaker and corporate board director, as well as the former CEO of the Girl Scouts of America. In addition, she held the post of presidential commissioner during the Obama administration for educational excellence for Hispanics in early childhood leadership, and has led various other organizations over the course of her career. Please welcome Sylvia Acevedo. Hi, Sylvia. Hi there. It's great to be here with you both. First of all, a big thank you from all of us today, ASME, for what you've been doing. You've made a tremendous difference in education. You continue to do so. Um, I know, <clears throat> you know you're always on the road, so taking a few minutes to, to join Caitlin and I today is, is great. So, Sylvia, Caitlin mentioned the fact that we hear unique stories on our podcast program. And I know your career trajectory went in some pretty interesting areas in a pretty circuitous route. So for the benefit of our audience, and before we go there, where did you really grow up? So I was born on Ellsworth Air Force Base in South Dakota. My father was in the military and I was during the Korean War in the 50s, that era. And he asked, you know, I was born there. But we only lived there a few years. All my grandparents are from Mexico. My mom was born in Mexico. My dad was born in El Paso. So after they left South Dakota, they returned to Las Cruces, New Mexico. So I grew up in the beautiful desert Southwest. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. So I'm curious, as a kid, did you have any hobbies? My goodness, I really enjoyed sports quite a bit. I loved, loved, loved sports. And I loved to read and, um, you know, when I was, I was one of the early Head Start baby kids and my Head Start teacher was fantastic because she realized I wasn't really into arts and crafts. And so she let me do my show and tell every week by talking about a book. Well, back then it was like, you know, the stories of what happened to Spot, you know, what was it, Dick and Jane's birthday party. But from a young age, that really caused me to love reading. And so I would say one of my hobbies growing up in addition to to sports, was uh, reading. Oh, that's fantastic. And Sylvia, I have to say, I have such commonalities with you. Growing up, I was an avid reader and super into sports. I have to ask, what sport do you really liked playing growing up? Growing up, I liked basketball a lot. And I remember, I'm, I'm a pre-Title IX uh, kid, so I just did it for the joy of it. And I would really push myself during basketball season to do 100 layups before I would stop, not 100 layups in a row, but 100 layups. So um, that taught me persistence, you know, a resilience. It was really important. And um, later on, when I got to college, uh, the law had changed and I could actually try out for basketball. And I did, I made the team, uh, but I will be honest, I was a bench warmer, <laughs> but I did when I, my, when I finally got into a game, I did steal the ball and I ran and I made a layup. So I guess there all you that go. Sylvia, at some point in my day, I always go back and I think of the uh, the engineering sciences behind me. The best, I, my first love in life is baseball. But when you stop and think of the engineering uniquenesses in terms of uh, basketball or baseball, 
the arc of the ball, what's happening, the speed, and what have you. Uh, admittedly, it's a trivia question where somebody will say, Tom, that's completely useless information. So it, it works. It works. <laughs> it does work. So I'm curious, why did you study engineering? You know, um, I actually got a music scholarship. I was a percussionist, um, but that didn't quite feel right for me. And I always loved math and science. And when I was a Girl Scout, I made an Estes rocket and I failed many times. Um, and um, in Girl Scouts, there's a phrase, first failure is first attempt in learning. And I was very grateful to be in an on-girl environment because I think if I had failed four times, uh, the teacher would have said, hey, this isn't for you. But instead, we kept pushing to solve the problem. And so finally, on the sixth time, I could I got that rocket to go up in the beautiful blue New Mexico sky. And so that was really important because it gave me the confidence that I could do science and math. And at that time, everybody involved in the space program or in the computer program that was really uh, supporting the space program, they were all men. So when I went to the library and I saw magazines of who was doing that, I thought, well, that's not me. But what is it that they do? And I thought, well, they do science and math. And so I really began applying myself to science and math. And so when I was in high school, I was looking at a college catalog and I thought about what I like to do. And I, I liked people, but I also like getting things to work more efficiently and better. And I discovered there was a whole field called engineering and industrial engineering or systems engineering. And that's why I decided to change to select engineering and i never changed from that well, that's great i'm starting to see silvio where your interest in engineering came from and i'm glad you got that confidence boost when you were younger was there anyone else that you would say provided some inspiration to you or some confidence that put you on your path i was really fortunate to have been a girl scout when i was young and my troop leader um, really helped me quite a bit in terms of discovering um, how to approach opportunity and the cookie program because my family really struggled with money. And so selling cookies was how I was going to afford doing my Girl Scout activities. And I, had a, I wanted to do everything, so I had to sell a lot of cookies. <laughs> so my troop leader taught me two very important things. One was how to create opportunities. So you set a goal and then you break it down into smaller steps. And when you run into kind of a roadblock, you ask for help. And that may seem really trivial, and especially to engineers, that's like a real big, yes, that's how you approach things. But from a young kid whose family struggled with poverty, you didn't know how to create opportunity. So that was huge. And so as a seven-year-old girl, I began developing that muscle of creating that opportunity. But the other thing she did, because I was raised in a Spanish-speaking household, uh, very Mexican culture-oriented, kids didn't ask, you know, talk to adults before the adults talked to them. But so she said, you know, never leave the side of a sale until you hear no three times. Um, and that really, again, that also changed my life because I learned to, how do you reframe a question? I learned how do you find common ground and really how to move away from a no and turn that into a yes. So from seven years old, I began <laughs> exercising those twin muscles of creating opportunity and how do you find common ground to get around a no. I was going to say, you could be a CEO at seven years old. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> she put you on the fast track. Well, yeah, Kate, I didn't that, know. They were very helpful skills, and I used them my entire life. So a CEO in Sylvia's case, <clears throat> I would say would be chief everything officer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
So along your path, Sylvia, and then where did you find yourself studying engineering? So, you know, I was really fortunate in fourth grade, my teacher, Mrs. Baldwin, showed us pictures of universities. So she was way ahead of her time, <laughs> right? Because it was the desert Southwest, a really small community. And, you know, the desert Southwest where I grew up was Chihuahua Desert. That's kind of like the third harshest desert in the world. So when she showed us pictures of Stanford University and it was just green, you know, green hills, large green lawns, red tile roof, limestone buildings, I blurted out, I want to go there. And um, I think I meant I physically just wanted to go see it. But she took it as I wanted to go to the university and she walked up to my desk and she looked at me and she said, Sylvia, that's one of the best universities in America, maybe the world. And then she looked at me and she said, you're a smart girl, you can do that. So at nine years old, a fourth grade girl decided I was gonna go to Stanford. And I began, um, you know, I broke it down. So now I had a dream, broke it down into smaller steps, realized I had to have really good grades. Um, I had to really have good extracurricular and also figure out a way to finance that. And I began saving money. And that was really kind of my goal. But when I was in 11th grade, my grandmother died uh, unexpectedly in Los Angeles. And um, they, they couldn't afford to, to bury her. And so the, mm. if you've ever seen the movie Coco, uh, with, and, and the very strong regard the Mexican um, culture has around their family and, and their, their deaths, I realized that um, I was the only one with money. And so I went to the bank with my father and withdrew all the money and gave it to them so they could bury my grandmother. And so at that time, I realized I could go to school uh, with a music scholarship, but then I decided to really go after engineering. And that meant I would go local, which was New Mexico State University. And I had a great experience at New Mexico State University, but I didn't lose that focus and kept making sure that I got really good grades, really good extracurriculars. And then after that, I was able to apply and attend Stanford University. That's, That's great. I, lo I love the story, Sylvia. Thank you for sharing that. So the question I get quite a lot is, as you're in, as you're in school and you're studying, how do you determine where you go next? And, and where did you go when you got out of Stanford? So um, actually, in between New Mexico State, um, I in Stanford, I actually worked at NASA uh, okay. as a rocket scientist. So I sort of was able to fulfill a big dream. And I really love that experience. But um, after I'd gotten to work on a couple of missions, I got the acceptance to Stanford. So then I went to Stanford. And that having an engineering degree, having a systems approach, having worked at NASA, and then having my graduate engineering degree from Stanford, I really graduated at just the right time when technology was just really taking off. And then I really wanted to go work in technology. However, at that time, it was incredibly difficult. It was really difficult for women and especially women of a non-traditional background like myself. And I saw all my friends getting jobs in technology and I really had a very hard time. Fortunately, I was able to get a job um, at IBM as a facilities engineer. It wasn't sort of the track that I thought, you know, having left NASA in the Jet Proportion <laughs> Labs, but I decided I got my foot in the door and that's really what mattered because I had sent out hundreds and hundreds of resumes and finally I got my foot in the door. And once I got my foot in the door, I used my engineering mindset, our innovation, uh, really provided some different ways of approaching some of the manufacturing processes that were improved 
productivity and that got noticed. And then before I knew it, IBM had selected me to go kind of on their fast track and uh, put me in their prestigious sales and marketing. And I had moved from sales and marketing and began selling to those big companies that I had previously tried to work for. Uh, but now I was selling to them on behalf of IBM. And I wanted to take a little pause and go back to the early high school, college days. You said something about a music scholarship. Were you playing an instrument growing up or was that like chorus or which one was that? So I love beating the drums. <laughs> so <laughs> I played percussion. I did okay. play the melodics as well, but I did play the drums. That's awesome. Yeah. I've, I've played the violin growing up and I always, I always think back to it. I'm like, hmm, could have been in a, I don't know, sitting at, in Broadway playing in the orchestra down there, but here we are. So Sylvia, as a woman in a male dominated industry, what, what challenges did you face maybe in school and also in, in the career force? Well, the very first uh, engineering job I had, there were uh, no bathrooms for women at all. And I had actually been, I think, the first one, obviously. And I decided that that was sort of like my first no. So I wasn't going to take that as rejection. Um, instead, I was going to solve the situation, which was I figured out where the closest women's bathrooms were. And I brought in a bike to work and I didn't drink a lot of fluids. And at my breaks, I would ride my bike. And I think after, and I always had a good attitude. I always wanted to say, you know, how can I help? How can I solve things? You know, where can I, you know, be part of this project? And so after six weeks, they said, I guess she's not going to quit. And they brought me my own porta potty and it said hers on it. Um, so, you know, I could have taken that pretty negatively, but I decided not to do that. Um, again, you know, in my career, when I first tried, at, you know, after I'd gotten my Stanford engineering degree and I saw all my classmates, you know, male cohorts, cohorts get into really great jobs. And yet I would go to those same career fairs and, you know, and I had been a rocket scientist at NASA and I just couldn't get my foot in the door. Um, but I finally did get my foot in the door and I decided I would just really apply myself and keep working at that. Now, the other thing is working in that kind of environment, I realized, you know, I had to make sure that my voice got heard. Um, so, you know, I had to develop a kind of a, a stronger personality in terms of, you know, not waiting to have my, um, you know, my idea or my concept noticed and to really try to approach things very innovatively. Now, later on, when I became CEO of the Girl Scouts, I realized that that kind of behavior in terms of interrupting people, talking over people, you know, that like did not work in a predominantly all-female environment. But in technology at that time, um, that allowed me to get my voice heard. Absolutely. You know, it, it's it's interesting, Sylvia. You know, we, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit earlier than you are in career development, but when you look at these stories, I can relate in my own career about how we didn't have very many female engineers working with us. Uh, as a matter of fact, the the year that I graduated, uh, 1975, um, we Manhattan College graduated its first female mechanical engineer. Uh, we're still friends to this day. Mm. So it's interesting to hear you say that. And you know what I'm very much impressed about is the way you've taken that and you've and from different industry sector to industry sector, you've made it work. So for the benefit of the audience. If there was one thing that you would advice that you would give to a young engineer uh, coming up today, uh, what would that be in terms of advancing their his or her career? It's really important to get some skill sets that you feel incredibly confident that add value to a company or organization. And so for me, 
you know, it was my data analytics, um, you know, especially coming from a very intensive environment like NASA and rocket science, you know, I had a lot of analytical capability, but figuring out how to apply that in a corporate setting, I think when I did that, that was incredibly useful in my career. And I sort of find that as my through line, that no matter how many industries that I've, I've moved into, that is sort of my MO, that analytical approach that adds value. So it's not just an analytical approach to explain things and go on and on, but really sort of synthesize, you know, analyze what makes, you know, the biggest return for the company, the biggest you know, bang for the buck, uh, and being able to communicate that effectively. If you're young, I think really it's important to learn communication skills. And I'll tell you, I didn't start off with those at all. Um, the first time I ever volunteered to speak at, um, I think it was at an on-girls school in Austin, Texas. And there were some other people that were speaking. And I failed so bad, I didn't even get a pity question. Because usually girls, if you're not getting a question, will throw out a pity question. I didn't even get a pity question. And I realized at that point, I had to really improve my skills and figure out how to communicate a lot more effectively. And I found that as I learned how to do that, that was also really helpful in my career as well. So combined with being able to provide a lot of great data analytics and understand how that made a difference or provided value to a company, and then being able to explain that in a compelling way, that was really helpful in my career. And I would really encourage um, all you know the engineers listening, figure out what your sweet spot was. Mine was data analytics. You may have a completely different one. Maybe you're really a great process person figuring out how to put things together, or maybe you're that person who can figure out how to do things more efficiently um, and you know really increase the top line and reduce the bottom line, you know, improve the bottom line um, by reducing expenses because you just have a gift for that. Um, so figure out what your strength is and really make sure that you develop that and then on along the line also work on your communication skills well great thanks for that that's very useful you know i <clears throat> all the talks that i give and people say to me what should i what if there's one thing that i should work on my standard answer for years has been build your network you know when i look oh. at um, i'm old enough to know what a rolodex was most people think that's <laughs> a watch uh, a cheap high-end watch but uh, when I look at my database, my Outlook database, and my personal phone, there's over 30,000 contacts in there. Some individuals use the theorem of six degrees of separation. I call it six phone calls. By the time I've made the sixth phone call, I've become an expert in an area that I knew nothing about when I started. So That's brilliant advice as well. Yeah, thank you both for your advice. Especially as someone who's a young engineer, I take it to heart. A young engineer in the MEP world. That's amazing. <laughs> You're my hero. You're my hero. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Tom, you're mine. So Sylvia, what can you tell us about your time leading the Girl Scouts of America? I understand one particular goal was driven by a desire to encourage girls to pursue STEM-related coursework and ultimately careers. Well, thank you very much. You know, when I became the CEO of Girl Scouts, I really focused the organization around um, the mission of the organization, premier leadership organization for girls, to create girls of courage, confidence, and character to have amazing uh, programs that matter to the girls, the membership, and to really get them more financially focused. So I used to call it the three M's. But when I joined, the number one thing parents came up to me and said, why should my daughter be a Girl Scout? She's just gonna sell cookies and she's going to make macaroni necklaces. 
So what that said to me was that the programming had really lagged and wasn't relevant. So, you know, when I thought about it, I thought about it from a systemic perspective. And I thought, you know, America really needed to increase more women in our workforce in STEM. And at the same time, I saw across America, girls with mobile devices in their hands, and they were only users of technology, not the creators and the inventors and the designers. So I went to a variety of different companies and I got an investment so we could create all of these new programs for girls. And I'm really proud to say that more than any other time in the entire history of the Girl Scouts of the USA, that over 100, we made over 146 new badges 126 of them were STEM related, things like robotics, coding, think like an engineer. Uh, uh, we also did automotive badges, uh, cybersecurity were huge. So we did 126 of those different badges for girls from five years old to 18 years old. In addition, because of the cookie program, we realized we were teaching entrepreneurship skills. You know, this was really their first business. So we created entrepreneurship badges. Next, the great outdoors is so important. And I'd say STEM, the first S in STEM is science. And the great outdoors is science. So it's important to get girls out there. And we did a partnership with North Face to get a variety of new badges, everything from bouldering to trail running to snow camping. And then uh, lastly, and this is actually, even though I love the engineering and especially the space badges, uh, that we partnered with NASA on. Um, SIPS has been taken out of many American classrooms across America. I think there's like 10 states that kids never even get one hour of civics. And so we um, made sure that we included um, civic, we created civics badges from five to 18. And I'm really proud to say that in my last few years, there were girls, at least four girl, four state laws were being changed every year by girls in Girl Scouts from middle school or high school. So that was really great. But, you know, I loved STEM and I was so glad with how um, the girls responded. So we realized that you can't close the STEM gap with the same curriculum that created it. And so we decided to partner with organizations and we focused on what Girl Scouts did best, which is we really know how girls learn and lead and that's our expertise. But then we partnered with organizations for cybersecurity, for automotive, for robotics, for all of these different fields. And then, but we made it in a way that girls were interested. So the other thing is most STEM curriculum across America has been developed around what are boys already interested in and what are they confident in? So it's things like Legos, it's, you know, Lego, you know, Lincoln blocks or a variety of other things. Um, and then those exercises, boys are already interested in them. They're already confident. And so working on their competence is easy. However, for a lot of the girls, those same exercises, except for, you know, maybe just a few girls, most girls are not interested in that. So if they're not interested, they're also not competent. And then it's really hard to get them competent. So what we did is we rewrote the curriculum around things that girls were interested, but it was still around the same concept. So a really good example would be how do you introduce malware and networking to girls that are seven and eight? Now you can talk about protocol stacking and uh, you will really lose girls very quickly. <laughs> but if instead you get seven and eight year old girls to sit in a circle and talk, turns out the most of them love to do that. You give them a ball of yarn and they pass that ball of yarn amongst one another. And so very quickly, you've got a physical network. And now they see that, oh, that's a network, got it. And then you say one of the girls in the circle 
let's call her Bella, has a virus. And then they can see, or a malware, and then they can see how that virus becomes malware and spreads throughout the network. And so suddenly they're interested and they're confident and now they want to do more of that. And I'll tell you, you know, our first year of the cybersecurity badges, 180,000 of them across America were made. And the other beauty of that, the approach that we took is because, you know, I'm a systems thinker, I looked at the iconic cookie program and I saw that it was in rural, urban and suburban communities. And I thought, imagine putting STEM program in all of those communities. And that really worked, that we were able to provide that kind of training across America. And one of, um, I have a, you know, one of my really most um, heartfelt stories was when I was in Birmingham, Alabama, and I'd just given a speech and there were these families on the side and they wanted to talk to me. And they came up to me and they said, you know, we just wanted to thank you because all of our daughters uh, took the Girl Scout programming in cybersecurity and learned it. And there was nowhere else in our rural community, and I think four hours away, where they could have learned cybersecurity. No one else is teaching it. And because they learned that, they wrote their college applications on cybersecurity, and they got four-year full-ride scholarships to college. And that's not something that they would have, their families would have been able to afford. And so, you know, that really made me feel good that, you know, even in very rural parts of America, they were able to get this leading edge kind of experience that could provide them a great opportunity and was very much needed for the American workforce. And I, I will admit, I still very much enjoy the Girl Scout cookies. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's wonderful. I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah, we yeah were thank in the, you. We were in our New, York, New Jersey office not too long ago, and one of our coworkers, one of our managing directors, his daughter was selling Girl Scout cookies and <clears throat> graciously bought a couple of a couple of cases from them and then spread them around the office because I wasn't going to bring them back to Texas, but we did enjoy them for a couple of days. So oh, that's that's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for all you introduced to Girl Scouts, Sylvia, because me, I remember Girl Scouts being young and going to karate or going to camping or just learning a bunch of different skills. But to be able to have been introduced to STEM at such a young age, not knowing myself, not knowing what engineering was until maybe late high school, but to have understood what those concepts were and built a confidence in them at maybe eight years old, that would have, that changes everything. So thank you for starting that. Well, thank you. You know, I was really focused on the workforce for America for the future and really giving girls those skills. So I used, I say, you don't want them to just be the users of technology, but the creators and the inventors and the designers of the future as well. So on that note, I'm going to wrap up our conversation and once again, thank my co-host Tom Costabile and our wonderful guest Sylvia Acevedo. Thank you very much for having me um, on this program. You know, yes, I've had an unconventional career. A friend of mine says, Sylvia, just pick a lane. But it really <laughs> does speak to the fact that you can use those engineering skills across a variety of industries. And right now, as we are going under a major systems upgrade from moving from the industrial age to the digital age, the world needs engineers more than ever, need all types of engineers. And so I really applaud you in having this program. Well, thank you. It's, it's a lot of fun, especially when you get to deal with neat people like yourself and, and my buddy, Caitlin. So as always, if anyone out there would like to suggest a topic, a guest, or share some commentary on the stories we cover, be sure to reach out to our unconventional engineering production team or email us directly at media at asme.org. 
And if you're interested in becoming an ASME member, log on to ASME.org or consider donating to the ASME Foundation, again, at ASMEfoundation.org. I want to thank everybody for listening today. And thank you again, Sylvia. Thank you again, Caitlin. Thank you very much. It's really been an honor and a pleasure. <laughs>